Hey there, film fans. I'm Jeff. I'm Dave. And I'm John, and welcome back to The Love of Cinema, a pod in which we'll challenge one another to discuss movies, both new and old, with a strictly positive critical eye. That's right, and to avoid lazy negativity... We have made this here episode a drinking game. Anytime we say anything negative, you're going to hear this sound. That sound means we need to take a drink and we hope you drink along with us. So pour yourselves a glass. Get ready to work on your nonsense song that later on is going to become extremely relevant. Save America. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Cheers. I I guess so. Sure. (sighs) And yeah, I didn't think I was getting away with that. No, I mean, yeah. Well, yes. Hi, people. We're talking. We're talking about Amsterdam, the mm. movie by David O. Russell. You know, uh, uh, we're going to talk about this movie here today. Oh my God, that said it all. Dude. That, was, that was horrendous. <laughs> that, that was so full. Richard Gang would have loved it. How do you feel? That was... <laughs> Um, where this is the new movie by David O. Russell, um, who once cursed off Dustin Hoffman on a film set, and we are gonna break it down. Uh, number three with Christian Bale after American Hustle and The Fighter. Um, the cast is unbelievable. Um, okay, we'll we'll set this movie up in a second. American Hustle, uh, not American Hustle, Amsterdam people. Talking about Amsterdam, one of my favorite <laughs> one-word movie titles of the year. I fucking hate one-word movie titles. Mm. <laughs> 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 oh, All right, man, that's um, good. John, why don't you shout out our uh, our sponsors before we get into this? Should episode. I shout them out? Let me shout them out. Carlos Barroso is our beer sponsor. He does exist. We don't just believe in him. He he is real, and his beers are actually very good. Although we haven't had any. In about two years, Carlos Cibarozo.beer. That's the handle, C-B-A-R-R-O-Z-O dot beer. Follow that gentleman on Instagram. And the music on this episode and every single episode is provided by the artist Dasein, D-A-S-E-I-N. Go on uh, all your music platforms, any one of them, and you can find that music available for free. Download, listen, like, subscribe, and come at us on all the socials, and Dave will get back to you. Yeah, don't, do, well. don't come at us on the street, just on the socials. <laughs> just the socials um, well you can come you rec- on the street but we're pretty scrappy if you, if you <laughs> recognize us, us <laughs> if you recognize on the, us on the street m- mom and dad just say hi it's me Which two? um <laughs> definitely you and me <laughs> <laughs> um okay so people if you're new to our show we try to keep it spoiler free for a couple minutes maybe let's say 10 minutes or so uh, we're not going to spoil this movie immediately, so we can just tell you how we feel. Our initial takeaway, having seen this movie, we're going to try very, very hard to keep it positive, and um, then we'll turn on the spoilers and let it rip. But first, we got to do our gripes of the week here. All right, so we set a timer so that we don't go on and on forever. I only broke that rule once. So, guys, anything you want to get off your chest before we talk about David O. Russell's Amsterdam? Anybody else? Obviously, besides me, I, I'll get a little one. Sure, a mini one. All right, timer and every time I go to AMC at Times Square, <laughs> it's always an AMC. There's story. one fucking escalator not working. <laughs> I, I don't know whether they, they just can't afford like the power to run all six of the fucking escalators to get to the top. One time it was the big one, and it kind of you know I'm standing at the bo- bottom, and it's like going enjoy your fucking movie, fatty, and you know you have six flights to walk up that giant fucking escalator. It's like what? What's going on? And then as I'm going out, there's another escalator not fucking working, and the fire alarm's blinking and going off. But everyone's fucking sitting there. 
No one's moved. Like everyone's just like, oh well, you know, I've had a good life. I'll just stay here and fucking burn. <laughs> I, what, <laughs> it, it, it started. It started. It started with escalators and ended with Americans. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> oh, this, is the, this is this is the Forty Second Street one you're talking about. Yeah, right? that one, yeah, and that one that one has like six. It's like six floors, folks. It needs the escalators to be working, especially that it big one. It also just needs to be renovated. And you know what? It, I, no, have, I don't think I've ever been there. And the last one that takes you past Dave and Buster's works. I think it's the one that's always going down. The big one that never works for me. I feel like that one has always been fucking. Oh, broken. I haven't had that one out. I've had the up, the big one up out. Uh, and bad. then the Dave and Buster's Whoa. one has just been out for like, you know, three months. They're also very narrow uh, escalators. Yes. So it's really tough when they go out. They are narrow. I don't know if I need the gripe timer, but I want to make an AMC observation. All right. Um, we can ahead, set it. Let's timer. set the timer. Yeah, hit the timer. Yeah, we, yeah, we, yeah, we, we, know, we know how these go. All right. All right. So there is one of the theaters, the Grove Theater here. It's one of the big AMCs. They finally got an IMAX and they're getting a Dolby. And I noticed today that IMAX has started putting subs in the seats. And this technical sound nerd is a little frustrated. That does That's not how they've done all their other theaters. And it kind of was strange. Um, and this is the first time I think I have now officially seen the new cut of Miss Nicole Kidman's uh, intro. And I don't like it. I don't know if you guys oh. have seen it, but they've skipped too much at the beginning and too much in the middle. It's no longer funny or sad and frustrating. It's just quick and it feels pushed and nobody laughed or may have had enough time to pick on it. It felt awkward and it felt forced. And AMC, they lowered the lights right before it came on. They still haven't figured oh, out that she says the <laughs> fucking line. They are still messing with it. They have clearly edited it and they have changed the light timing, but it doesn't work. And they're still guys get it right. That's it. Okay, that's that's it. Ooh, All right. One second left. Ah, oh, John. Oh, it was just going to be a mini nine. one, huh? Yeah. Mm. Right. Type five nine. I had John, two in John, there. there were John two went nerds. long. Surprise. Sure. All right. Yeah. All right. All right. Let, we want we want to get into our episode. So um, so hit that timer. Let's go. Okay, writers. It is time for us to retire the line. I know we've had our differences. Enough. Uh, yes, we know that you know you've had your differences. You're trying to tell us, the audience, that this is a tense moment. And in doing so, you literally peeled off one of the most generic movie quotes of all time and stuffed it in there because you were like, oh no, we want the audience to feel tense. It's so stupid. It's void of character. It's heartless. There's no regionality. There's no specificity. It's just a dumb thing that tells you, obviously, something divisive and something, something important is going to come up here in a second. Second. Writers, you have to write yourself out of these problems. If you want more attention, you got to figure it out. You got to write your own fucking story, okay? Stop worrying about me. Leave me alone, all right? All I know is that if they review this script and they take a look and they're like, is this it? Is this the best script of all time? You have this line that's immediately disqualifying. As soon as you see, I know we've had our differences. Mm. Not your best script. Get it out. <laughs> Just get out. Yeah, just be careful what you wish so for, man, because you, you take the... I know we've had our differences out, and you get fucking Save Martha, so... There has to no be one? somewhere no in between. One? You're better than no that. One? Yeah, wait, wait, what the fuck was that reference? Hold on. Why did you Save say that Martha. name? Batman versus Superman. They stopped fighting because their mothers oh, both had the same deep, name. deep cut. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's a very deep cut. Um, all right, you ready to talk uh, about Amsterdam? It's a movie podcast, right? Is that a, is that a Rings of Power uh, gripe? Jeff, I feel like I no, heard no, no. that uttered that, in a in a faux British accent this past week. Um, you're right. It was from um, House of Dragons, which all I'm going to say House about of House Dragons, of Dragons sure, is sure. all I'm going to say about House of Dragons is 
it's too bad when we were like, what is going to be the better sci-fi slash fantasy IP show? And not only is it not first, it's not even second. <laughs> Because <laughs> Andor came in, so this house, this oh, yeah. Game of Thrones show, is now oh, the yeah, third yeah, 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 yeah. best fantasy IP show on TV. That is, it's just so, it's just too bad. I, they got Greenland for another season, so we get to suffer through it again. But oh man, all right, suffer through it, Jesus. <laughs> but it just, it... <laughs> it's like a hundred million dollars. We're, we're not even in the movie. <laughs> okay, so we're talking about Amsterdam. We gotta get show, it. If you showed that show to somebody from like 1950, <laughs> it would be like. What the fuck is that? I mean, they would be blown away, right? Would it just be the, the greatest thing they've ever seen? The world I, I don't know. They, they, they would probably sit there and be like, "What happened to the dragons?" I thought this Dude, was you a show dragon that show to someone from nineteen fifty. They'd be a fucking Senate inquiry. They're <laughs> right. They're like commies. Uh, <laughs> um, this is why I'm not watching it. Anyway, yeah. let's get on it. Let's get okay. on it. What are we talking Amster- about? Amsterdam people, the new movie by David O. Russell, yeah. which has a ridiculous cast. Let me let me let me name this cast. <laughs> ridiculous cast <clears throat> with a trailer to go along with it that celebrates the ridiculous cast. Do you remember the trailer? That's right. Like, oh, this yeah, person yeah. and this person and this person. Yeah, you gotta sell your movies, I guess. So Christian Bale, perhaps the only person on set that that thought this was a comedy. Christian Bale, Margot Robbie, Harvard on the bubble. John David Washington. <laughs> Alessandro Nivola, who, by the way, is an awesome actor. Anya Taylor-Joy, and one of the strangest, most two-dimensional characters ever written on the screen. Chris Rock, Matthias Schoenertz, I never knew how to pronounce that name. Michael Shannon, Mike Myers, yes, the Canadian who loves playing Brits. Taylor Swift, who was so good, they wouldn't even show her face during half of her coverage. Timothy Oliphant, Carrie, sorry, Zoe Saldana, Rami Malek, Robert De Niro, and end of list, people. This is a monster cast. Monster cast. Here's the pitch. In the 1930s, three friends witness a murder, are framed for it, and uncover one of the most outrageous plots in American history. Is this based on a true story? It, it does come up at the beginning saying some of this actually happened. Okay. Which I think is... The message should have been in front of Blonde first. last week. Let me go but... first. Let me go first because my I didn't read that blurb until until just now when you were reading. I was reading it along with you. Um, I didn't realize, and I don't I don't like trailers that tell you the whole story. So I didn't, I didn't need the trailer to allude to this. But um, this story ultimately builds to a very incredible event in American history from the 20th century that I've always wanted to see a movie get made or a, or a really excellent miniseries. It's an incredible story that nobody talks about. The time in the 30s when some powerful tycoons tried to overthrow the American government and put into, we don't have to go into details, but change the government and do something that was similar to what was happening with overthrows in Europe. I have always wanted to see something about this. So I was delighted when I realized that that was kind of where this was building to. I think it took too long for it to get there for me. I think I was ready for story, and they were ready to tell me a backstory about the people who may have been loosely involved in a tangential uh, communication like alongside that eventually brought the people together based on this friendship of three people. Ultimately, I don't think that friendship and their into their story, their intimacies, was interesting enough to hold me for the first hour and a half of this two, two hours and 15 minute movie. Uh, I need to crack my beer and I'll say that because <laughs> once it got once the story got going 
which was, again, like an hour and a half into it, I was way more interested than I was in the first part. And I, I just want to read this because I didn't know that it said this. And this is pretty good, though. Um, David O. Russell's IMDb blurb, clearly a very talented individual. Known for a cinema of intense, tragicomic, tragicomic, that's right, characters whose love of life can surpass dark circumstances faced in very specific worlds. Sure. <laughs> I guess I guess he was trying, you know, he was putting his kind of thing on this period of American history. I wish he would have started his story an hour into this movie. And then it would have been about more about the meetings of those people that actually were starting to unravel that plot against America. Because it's a really intriguing story, and it seemed very much in proximity to the friendship that he was trying to get us to focus on. Now, we can talk about what, maybe why that did or didn't work for, for any of us in moving forward. But just as a storytelling element, I think even if he had handed me the script, I would have been curious to know, why are you starting so early? What about these people, other than them witnessing that murder, which could have just been a flashback? Why are you feeling like you need to tell us their entire story? I forgot we were in a expositional rewind when they finally came back to the story to, to, to like <laughs> yeah. in 30 or 35 minutes in. I was yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah I, for, I forgot there was like a linear thing that we were following. And I don't know if that was for a good reason. I don't know if I was so compelled by what was happening in Amsterdam. You hear that name a lot in this movie to, to, to feel that. Amsterdam. Way. Yeah, I, I liked it, though. He's still very I mean. I didn't love it, but I, I liked some of it. It was shot very well by Emmanuel Lebetsky. Shocking that that man turned out another, you know, beautiful film. Um, the camera movements and the choreography and the staging was was interesting. Again, I just don't know if I was, if that doesn't line up by a desire to know what is happening inside characters' minds and hearts, it, it, it kind of gets a little bit lost. So for me, I kind of felt like I was waiting to get hooked. I was kind of sitting in my audience chair, kind of waiting, like, when is he going to grab me? Because a lot of his other, his films work with this similar kind of style, but there's something very dramatic at the center of it that kind of holds you while he's doing his quirky thing. And I think he may have just gotten me a little bit later than I wanted to. I was yearning for a little bit more for the first two thirds of this film. But I still think people are gonna have a good time. I think there's a lot of people who love David O. Russell movies that are going to have a good time watching this one. It's interesting that you thought, like, when is he going to grab me? Because I'm pretty sure that's what some people think about me in the theater. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus <Lord>. Christ. <laughs> you are the guy who sits there, like, observing his neighbors intensely yeah. in the yeah. theater. All of his stories are about his neighbors. He's looking. He's watching, folks. <laughs> I'm the AMC grabber. That's a throwback Dang. to the black phone. The AMC grabber. <laughs> the AMC grabber. Yeah. Um, Dave, where do you come down on this? I, I, I do agree with John. Uh, I, at one point I was like, where is this going? Like, is this going to grab me? And then once it settled down into like the main story, it, it did have me for about, I want to say, 45 minutes to an hour. And then it kind of drifted again at the end. And I, I walked out not actually knowing whether I liked it or not. I think. I think I did because I was I'm thought about it a lot, um, but I didn't like all of it. I liked certain elements of it. So yeah, this one's kind of a it's a, a just to pass for me, just to pass. Um, yeah, he I like, like 
and, and some people are going to sit there and just be bored and tune out. And like, if this, when this goes to streaming, so. it's probably going to get stopped in the first twenty minutes a lot. I think um, you're right, dude. Yeah. Which I'll, and I'll just jump on that before you go, Jeff. I think my only overwhelming criticism, if, if I was David O. Russell's friend, and that man doesn't seem to give a shit about what anybody thinks. He, you know, and I appreciate that about him. He's made the movies he's always wanted to make, for better or for worse. They don't all go out of the park for me, but he goes for it, and he's an alter, and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. I, I think I would just want to ask him as a, as a friend, if I knew the man, this is really really important significant subject matter are you sure you want to try to put your thing first and i do feel like he tried to put his what you call the tarantino his watermark was more important than the story he was trying to tell about american history and that bothered me mm. now it doesn't mean it's a bad movie but i was frustrated as a citizen because ultimately i do think he was trying to tell a story of significance Otherwise, that archival footage at the end and the end credits of Smedley D. Butler actually giving that address probably wouldn't have found its way into the end credits. I think he was trying to make a real political point. And I just want to just want to encourage people to go in with a little bit of that open mind that you might feel as though he is he wants his voice to be more important than the subject matter that ended up you know, having a negative effect on me. But what do you think, Jeff? Um, so we're, we're a positive film criticism podcast which challenges Sometimes. us to which well it, it, the, ch the challenge is to not to when we don't like a movie to not just try to explain why so right. i'm in a very so i'm in a very difficult spot i'll say well we got, we, shot the shit out of dude, it let's just we, talk about the lighting all we, i know we're, I, we're I, all I, sitting there last <laughs> night we get a text from jeff saying like oh yeah i I don't know, like I don't know how I'm going to talk about this piece of shit, and I still have to sit through another hour and a half of it. And I'm like, hang on a minute, one spoilers, and two, are you texting in the theater? This, yeah, no, I was like, like is this guys, streaming? And then he guys. texted me earlier today. Wait, I, I get out of the theater and I texted and I said, I said, hmm, ellipses. Looking forward to hearing y'all's thoughts on this one. Yeah. And Jeff said, I'll stab you in the neck if you sit this one out. <laughs> Okay. So, um, Jeff, don't you just, be we, don't you be fucking nice. Take another shot yeah. and get the fucking gloves off and go bare knuckle. No, 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 this no, no, no. I think I, you hated this, and I want to hear why. I seriously think our text messages should be just on the Facebook feed. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> I was like, I know we don't talk about the movie, but I I can't believe we have to. I can't believe we're watching this horseshit. Is what I said. But but yeah. I don't. That's I. I'm I'm I've had a day I've had a day to think about it and I still believe that but it's please I really guys I really don't want to be that stuffy you guys were like some people I got no this movie was so boring I, I can't believe first things first I'm I'm a firm believer and I, I usually hate platitudes but because we say all the time like you don't have to like a movie for it to be a good movie it doesn't have to be a good movie for you to like it like we know that I, I'm a firm believer that movies have to be entertaining, whether it's the Joker, which puts a pit in your stomach and it's like sick. And you're like, I don't know if I ever want to rewatch this, but like, I can't stop watching it. So there must be some entertainment. Like it, there's something about it that has to, that has to get you through this. And clearly David O. Russell knows that because he had this doctor with this one eye who, and Christian Bale was like always at an angle, like with these weird poses. And the Anya Taylor-Joy character, just literally her entire character was, what can I say about Valerie in this line? Valerie, Valerie, Valerie. And after a while it was like, of course her and Rami 
um, whatever, because it's like, of course, the, you can't just have I, these two dimensional actually, characters. There's no way you would have said. I actually that. enjoyed her character. Because You're the only one, because no, I sat through I've, this movie. I've seen, I've seen her play. Like she's always played the likable, like hero sort of thing, and that sort of thing. This is the first time I've seen her play a character where you wanted to fucking strangle her from her first appearance. I just okay. There's a lot to unpack there. Here's what, what I'm going to say. Yeah, there was. I saw there were maybe 40 people in my theater. There was one woman who laughed, and I know it was her because I kept being like, "There she is." Not a single other person laughed at one moment in this movie, and they were definitely trying. They had Chris Rock on stage doing stand-up comedy, and it wasn't funny. Like that's how unfunny this movie was, and they wanted it to be. So you can't. So I'm right that they they they. They the, wanted the importance thing, and maybe they just thought this tone, this this idea would be. I'm with you on the backstory, John. Where all of a sudden they're like, "This is where we met," and then out of nowhere we just come back to regular time. It's like, why did we just spend 20 yeah. minutes on that? Either I love, that's I love the, the movie. I love the student. Or we, it's we, a we got the classic student indie freeze frame as well. It's like I get you. I, yeah. Out of nowhere, I thought my yeah, movie like, froze. I was like, like what's stop. Happening? I bet you're wondering how we got into then, this situation, like. <laughs> Okay, and and then another okay, <laughs> and that's that's what it was. But it was also at a weird spot. The whole opening was so bizarre. It doesn't matter anyway. The the most important takeaway besides the fact that it was boring and nobody laughed was I, I swear on my life I've never had so many people in my theater just take a lap. People were just getting up and go, leaving, going to pee. <laughs> Dude, I, I, I'm not I'm not I'm not exaggerating. Like I started taking count, and it's not just because I was bored. I, I've never and this was late at night, so the concessions I. I don't think they were open. When I left the theater, I was looking around because I left early and I wanted them to see it. I didn't leave early, but I was like, I was like out the door and I looked around and there was, I didn't see a single soul in the theater. So these people were literally just going to the, they were just taking laps. People were going to the bathroom or whatever. They were like, I need five, like, like all throughout the course of the movie. So we'll talk more about the story. I just, I just think, I can't believe how boring this movie was. Let's, let's, mm. let's jump. Let's go ahead and jump into spoilers so we can start dissecting it. Cause I want to piggyback off that. Spoilers on, Jeff, the whole time I was watching this, except for like some moments in the last 30 minutes, moments too, you guys, not even whole scenes. That last scene with the reveal and everything, it was so boring. There was, mm. I couldn't stop thinking about that. <laughs> that quote, that same thing, dude, that quote that I think it's Marlon Brando, where he says basically like your number one responsibility, people have come out and spent money on this. They have taken time out of their lives the very least you can do, the least you have to do is entertain them. Now, within that realm of entertainment, it doesn't mean that it's the shallow end. You can compel them to change their fucking life if you want to, but at the very least, it needs to be entertaining and compelling. I keep, I kept imagining, which is a terrible sign. I was thinking the whole time about other things because I was so bored. I changed my seating position and I grunted like 14 times like, ah. I just I feel like I was this trying is, wait, to get more comfortable and this is this is the one who liked it out of the group. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh I kept wondering to myself, because again, David O. Russell is no slouch, and no. he's working with one of the most acclaimed cinematographers of all time, who always has an enormous influence on the the, the way that the film is going to be made. Um what's that really that really good quote by um um God damn it. Who directed The the Exorcist? Help me out. Friedkin. Friedkin. Where he says yeah, that like, uh, a movie is like a 70, 70% cinematographer, 20% actors, and uh, 5% DP. And then I get somewhere, I get some of the rest with like the other departments as the director. Chivo probably had an enormous influence on the way that this thing was, was going to be filmed and the way it was going to be perceived and everything. 
And I remember I just couldn't stop thinking, like, did him and David look to each other at the end of every time David would call cut? Would they look at each other and be like, I think it worked. I, I they, guess they that must worked. have. Because I, I just I... can't. No, there was not a scene in this movie for me that in that very that weird. I know it sounds pretentious, but those people staring at a piece of art on the wall and you can't really describe why intangible art makes sense or not. It just works or it doesn't work. It's kind of hard to dissect why, and it's kind of dangerous sometimes to dissect something that that isn't working. But everyone knows when it works, and there was not a scene in this movie for me that was like, boom, bullseye. I understood the tone. I understood that everybody was in the same movie. I think I understood the essential question of why David O. Russell was making this movie. There wasn't a, There was not a single scene that had it. They almost got there somewhere in the last 30 minutes, probably in the yeah, yeah, yeah. gala. The gala was a fairly entertaining segment. Mm. But for so much of yeah. it, I felt like I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure why, like yeah. from from every element, like why why it looked like this, why it sounded like this, why they were acting like that, why it was written like that, why it was edited like that. I just kept asking myself that question. I kept thinking he was smarter than me. I was like, surely he's going to get there. Like this is all part of something, and I don't know if it was. Yes. Did, did you have that sense at all that, that yeah. he was doing it on purpose? Oh. I, I mean, I, I don't think he was. <laughs> I felt like the whole film no. was like we we could have gone here, but we went here. <laughs> yeah, they, they were choices. They, they yeah, they was, made choices. I'm just curious, Dave. Like, because I know now we're just like this is conjecture, but I am curious when you say here for you, what were you they, kind they, of for that, our audio for of, our audio listeners? They're putting their hand up above their, their head versus below their head. For our audio listeners, sorry about Jeff's microphone just then. <laughs> remember i made that comment yes, in my opening that, that um, i was i felt myself yearning are you talking like what were you wanting more of when you it was say, it was like it's, it started to grab my interest and started to get like interesting for lack of a better word and but it just didn't quite like this to what you said earlier it didn't quite grab you and like pull you along it was it was like it was they moved from scene to scene and it was like okay we're done with that and it was completely unmemorable. And it made like some of them contained stuff that was very relevant to the plot, but it was just, it didn't, everything felt smaller. Everything felt condensed. Like some of the sets felt really small and claustrophobic. And I get some of that was because he was poor and he was operating out of a very small office. But even some of the other spots, like just everything just felt like it almost felt like a, a bad lens choice. And I know it wasn't that. Um, but it just like everything just felt small. It didn't. It never quite got yeah. to that like epic stage that he was trying to like the adventure part of it that he was trying to tell and the conspiracy. Yeah, it just felt the short. biggest. The biggest most opening thing was that opening where they do the autopsy in this gigantic open room, and I was kind of like, oh, this feels cold because it's like three people in this huge room with a casket. Um, but then you're right. Everything after that kind of felt claustrophobic. Yeah. But it's funny you mentioned you mentioned the plot so. This could definitely work. So what, what what happens in this movie is this whole thing is sort of a murder mystery and who's chasing them and who's after them. And they do the are we in spoiler territory? Yes, we are. So they do the they do this weird flip where before the gala, which I think we all agree, the gala, you know, it got a little Godfather 3 in there, but like it, it's like that we knew that that was gonna be exciting. <laughs> but the problem is 
even we're looking for the five and we're looking for all these people. But but the story for all of this was that they needed to clear their name. And of course, like an hour and a half in, Margot Robbie's like, you know, this might be bigger than Taylor Swift. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> guys, we've been watching for an hour and a half. Like, if you still need to prove to us that it's bigger than this one person, then you got then you have a problem. Truly but an that, hour and a half. I'll tell, tell you what. Seriously, an hour and a half in, she's like, wow, this is bigger than. And it's like. Yeah, yes, that's why we're still watching. But out, out of nowhere, all of a sudden, Christian Bale goes, okay, so the cops cleared us and we're good. Um, so now we just need to know who these people are. And it's like, is David O. Russell doing this for himself or for us? Because I know that we don't divulge into fascism and I don't even know. What... So basically, I'm just wondering who these five people are that they kept talking about. Because for me, because Christian Bale even said, he's like, if we don't find these people, we're fucked. And I'm like, are we? I feel like you guys are in a pretty good place. I know America doesn't divulge into fascism. So I had no stakes. Even even in Dirt, this is my example. I know this is crazy, but we're in a fucking, we're supposed to be like a comedic podcast sort of. Even in Dirty Dancing. That's right, people. I'm going to Dirty Dancing. Jerry Orbach knows that Patrick Swayze didn't have anything to do with the abortion, but he doesn't tell him until after he dances, because if he tells her before he dances, then we as the audience don't have that tension. There goes the tension, yeah. yeah. And so all before the gala, they're like, okay, so I wonder who these five people are. And I'm like, okay, yeah. well, I guess I'll just sit back and, I'll, and maybe I'll guess who it is. And five, it's like, oh, I didn't get bingo. Those, and that's how yeah, the movie those ended. Those five you people know? are characters that were introduced right then. We never met get, any of them before. But, weird, right? Yeah. And, and I get John's that's right how real because, life works, but, you know, come on. But with Philip Roth and the stakes, you would have under you you would have cared more about the potential overthrow of the American government than their storyline. And if their storyline was so interesting, their backstory wouldn't have basically just been like, uh, uh, "What else do you need to know?" Um, uh, oh yeah, he was shot. We didn't even see them get shot or blown up. We just saw like we saw them go to war, and then all of a sudden we saw them in the hospital. So I feel like I feel like they were just like. They were drawing things in, you know. I just didn't feel like it was a clear, full picture. And then by the okay. time you get to the end, it was like, okay, well, this is this should be what the movie is. But now I have no stakes, so now I'm just trying to ride it out until it's over. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear you guys say the same thing because I know that I know I am much more drawn, John, say to drama and tension and you know wow. high stakes stuff. But but I couldn't stop thinking. Well, again, another thing I was thinking about throughout. This this man David O. Russell, who has made really wonderful films, I think, came about in the '90s with the other backlot kids: Paul Thomas Anderson, David Fincher, uh, Sofia Coppola, Tarantino, and a lot of them have have made yeah Linklater have their bread and butter is character work and scenes that aren't necessarily only supposed to move a giant story forward. So I just couldn't stop thinking about what works and what doesn't work and why his movies and, and their successful movies can get away with those kinds of things and why this one was just missing for me so, so much. And I think, I think you're totally right on the money, man. Uh, and all of their, their and his successful movies, those kinds of scenes, when you don't have a scene that seems to uh, scream the information coming out of our mouths or the action that we are showing you, the behavior is moving the plot enormously forward. It's at least creating enough tension for character so that it's moving the character forward for you. But I feel like this scene, uh, this uh, movie had a lot of moments where and I, I noticed he kept making a very specific editing choice. It was, it, it looked like it was on the page too. Like it was written for this kind of style where the dramatic incident in each scene a new piece of information that could have moved the story forward if he wanted to stay linear would get pre they would press pause on it and then they would move to the side 
and a couple characters would have a side segment or they would start just talking about something else for no reason at all. Now, that can be fun and quirky in the right context. I think Wes Anderson sometimes can pull that off brilliantly, but it always creates more tension and then it slingshots you back almost. Like it, it almost like he kept using this device. And for me, it just deflated every scene. It, it would happen. I started, I started to get to the point where I was kind of like, wait for it, wait for it. Here it comes again. He would sidetrack and it would lose all the tension for me. And I, I don't know, I just couldn't stop thinking about that. And my favorite movies from these people all have, like on the pitch, I can imagine him saying like, here is the subject matter, but I'm going to deconstruct the way we would arrive. It's not going to be a political thriller in the 90s style. I'm going to arrive at this through a character-driven perspective from somebody who's totally tangential. And that sounds like a, that sounds like a David O. Russell film. That sounds great. I might put my yeah. money into that. It's just something about the way it actually was written down on the page. It ended up losing so much tension that there were no stakes for me when we finally got there. I didn't even care. He didn't hmm. even care. The, Christian I mean, Bale's the, character. The roundabout. You know what? We're not yeah. David or Russell. Christian Bale's character was literally high in the room, and he's saying everything is happening. That scene. And there's nothing. Me. I don't even care about. That scene <laughs> bugged me. There was no, no. Like I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that's one of the bits that really happened because there was no purpose for that whatsoever. Like he never came out with anything poignant or anything like that. He just stood there in a stupor and watched these events unfold. And it was like a stupor. Good, yeah, good call. It yeah. was the worst. I felt like I was in a stupor at that. Yeah, point. me too. I, I, was, I was just was like, happening. I'm yeah. like, is it really? This is this is his contribution to this whole scene. And it, <clears throat> yeah, that that didn't sit well with me at all. That's that's what I'm saying. Like it ran out of steam at the end. But I felt like all these characters kind of, they kind of it. It was almost like you're watching, like, Fargo or something like by the Coens without a single shred of humor in it. Yes. And tension, because I, I, mm. I thought about the Coens too. This well, reminded me of like, for the humor. Yeah. Aside from those directors I just named a guys who came about several years before those backlot boys and girls were the Coens who kind of came out in the eighties and they own this style. Yeah. They own this genre. Yeah. Like if they yeah. were to make this kind of story, they somehow would have made us laugh and it would have been tense as fuck building up into that point. Yeah. And there was just, that just wasn't there at all for me. So Dave, I totally agree that when they, there were, there were devicey things towards the end, like the drugs, which that moment was in the trailer when he takes the eye drop. And I think we all kind of had a little bit of context there when he finally did that at the gala. If we had seen the trailer before and we were like, Oh, maybe something's going to happen because of this. Cause so often in movies, that kind of impediment lends itself to something mm. irrational or, or, you know, out of the woodwork, he was going to pull a gun and shoot one of these guys. And, you know, something that was going to be. But no, it didn't do that at all. He, it made him pull his protagonist back to be an observer of what can only be described as something that was and even, not nonsensical. But like the, the, the dialogue, the way literally the way they covered and the way they spoke that entire scene, the climax, it didn't feel climactic. Did, yeah, did it even feel then like he, was lit he was no. barely an observer. Like... I did for some reason his that choice in that scene just pulled me right out. Like they're revealing all this stuff. It was it was like the reveal at the end of like an Agatha Christie thing. Yeah, how funny was that? And at the Agatha Christie reveal, we just focus in on yeah. one character who's literally like, none of this affects me. It's like the Agatha Christie reveal at a fucking rave party was basically what it came to. Because I'm gonna say something sacrilegious that we all know deep down inside. Robert De Niro has no energy left. <laughs> he also did. Mm. 
<laughs> I'm so sorry. You'll see. I, I'll get to it later because I watched Goodfellas this week. And then I watched this and I'm like, oh, man, I, I want to see him now. In, liked, in Amsterdam, I want to see him try to do that phone booth scene from Goodfellas now. I just want to see it. Like, it's no, okay. Pe- no, people no, age and it's great. You don't want but, to see it. <laughs> but there's Hal Holbrook, Christopher Plummer. There's there's people that age into, like, adult, or sorry, grandpa roles and stuff. Michael Caine. Uh, Michael Caine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I did think his speech, Tony his speech was the highlight The speech was the best. Yeah, Lebetsky, the speech when he gets up there. Lebetsky yeah. got really in his face, and I think he needed that. I don't know how yeah. they lit it. I don't know how close the crew was, but he, he there's something happened to him. He really came alive. The observational Lebetsky work didn't work for me. When, well, it, for, for De Niro, uh, for, for the scenes with De Niro in the, uh, the middle of the movie, an hour and a half in. But towards the end, when there was more tension and a camera was in his face on a wider lens, something happened to him when he felt that pressure. But... I know what you mean, dude. It was it was weird to watch. Well, let's touch on this too, because I'm sure somebody's probably thinking it, which is this movie is very clearly it's it's so clear. This is his first movie since Joy in 2015, his first feature, or maybe 14. It's very clearly about the rise of fascism, meant to basically superimpose what's happening now, not just here in America, but all over the the world. And yeah. so everything from. Um, Again, we're not even talking about, like, Taylor Swift was in this movie, and she was the daughter, and then she gets thrown in front of the car, and there's this weird, this whole murder mystery thing should have been thrilling, and and Taylor Swift literally gets thrown underneath the car, and I I almost wanted to laugh. There was something about it that just, like, didn't... Well, yeah, she went under the car and went right over her, like, both wheels. And And, and it's devastating. My first thought was, holy shit, if if this was on VHS, like... People like Cardi B would be just wearing that piece of the tape out, like, fucking basic instinct. (laughs) I know. So, and, and I, I don't mean to be glib about those kinds of moments, but I, I kind of thought this was a comedy still at that particular time in the movie. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, well, this too. is getting this is getting crazy. Like, bodies are going to start flying, and it's yeah. going to be... And Christian Bale with his weird eye, which... So the, the funniest parts of the movie are Christian Bale with the eye with the drop the first time. And I think this is in one of the trailers where he was like, okay, so I just sit here and wait. Oh, that's fast. That's really fast. Yep. And that's, that's a funny moment. And then the, the two nonsense songs are really funny. And I was like, okay, that should be the tone of this movie, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, back to the, the point of the movie. We're saying all of these things and the events. And I, I you know, I, I, I feel like I always make the worst. I want to say something like, like do the right thing, which had this very clear tone and character. I'll say do the right thing because even though that is a very, a very specific- successful ensemble movie, Dave. We were talking it, about ensemble movies in our text there this week. That is true. I, I, I'm not comparing fascism to racism and, you know, that, but, like, as far as no, tone, no, it's, it's tone can, in the, in the movie where where it's an ensemble movie, characters, it's it, there's humor, but very serious things are going on in these people's lives that are, have, like, actual implications. And then there's an incident. In this movie, it's the rise of fascism. or you know, And as soon as they realize that there could be this capitalistic overthrow where they're actually siding with the Nazis because we make auto... We have automakers and we have, you know, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the stuff that's in the movie. So clearly David Russell and Robert De Niro, Robert De Niro, the fuck Trump guy. That was the best acting he's done in 10 years is when he walked on stage at the Tonys and said, fuck Trump. Not a lot of people on the right like that. But but like so that's clearly what's what's supposed to be going on here. And if they pulled that turn off, like do the right thing, obviously very specific inciting incident in that movie where the entire tone flips. And it took me, as I said, when we talked about that movie, 30 years to understand how, how, why they did that. And that's why I do the right thing for me is like, it's like on my fucking route, Mount Rushmore of brilliance. Now this movie's obviously never going to live up to that, but that's what David O. Russell wants to do. And so we're saying all of these things about story and tone and character and stuff, but that that's what he wanted. He wanted to have that impact. And I just can't imagine anybody unless, I mean, the unless only- they are dying, unless they are reading between the lines and they're pulling that out. That's just not what we saw in this movie. Certainly not for the first hour and a half. You really had to, to suffer through that hour and a half. If you yeah. really wanted to get I to mean, that. 
do the right thing should have been with the do the right about. thing like through environment and the people just lights a lights a fuse on a powder keg and it's a slow burn up to building up to when it finally snaps that's what this, this should have been do that yeah this should have been yeah. that it's too bad they, they, Let's talk about. They, they, it was like watching Billy Connolly do economy, co- like comedy. Sorry, like light the fuse and then wander off on a B story, and come back like forty five yeah. minutes later. That's exactly. Honestly, it, yeah. So let's talk about. We can't. If any, anyone's wondering why on the actor. on the YouTube while we're all touching our noses, we did a bunch of coke before the show. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, I didn't touch my nose. What's up? Get out of here. Mm, I wish. <laughs> Wish you something wish. would have brought me up after this movie. So I need, I needed some kind of come up. I just, I just saw this, folks. I just saw this. I came back. Oh, yeah. I walked my dogs. So the rage is still building. <laughs> um, there are every actor of any caliber needs direction. They want it. They want direction. They don't want to just flail in the wind. I just listened to a podcast with Christian Bale himself saying this. He's like dying. Yeah, for good, direction. good, good. There was. I was actually in a directing class this week and. Um, somebody who, who I respect a lot, who doesn't have a lot of directing experience, cast unbelievable actors to do that scene at the end of the hours where Meryl Streep goes to get Ed Harris to, for the get party. The it's fuck incredible. Out of me. And he goes out the and window. Oh my God. two incredible actors and they, they were amazing. And the guy was fucking unbelievable. And, and this person said, you know, I, I'm not a good enough director. I don't know what to do. And I remember just thinking like, this is now we can actually test your directing. Like, this is wonderful. It's hard to direct not good actors. It's, it's easy to direct really brilliant actors. Now we can finally discern if the direction is good because everybody's ready to rock. Everybody in this movie is a fantastic actor. Yes. Like yeah. objectively really good. Um, so that being said, I don't know if any of them were in the same movie. No, especially that, not yeah. our, our three main people. We had great especially potential for, main people. for straight what man comedy person was, and then whatever. Yeah. I don't know what conversations, and I don't, I, to be honest, I'm not going to speak as though I understand how D- David O. Russell's process. I, I don't know what kind of conversations he likes to have and how much directing he does on set. He's not a director I've done deep dives on and research to, for communication and stuff. So I have seen in his other movies, at least just from a, a, a viewer, it seems like he, he encourages his actors to kind of like the way we approach theater work, help me create this character. Help me, help me build this character yeah. off the page. I want you to bring a lot of life to it and behavior. And it, it's not that I didn't see these people trying. Like again, they're all super fucking talented people. But I don't know. I don't know if anybody did anything in a singular way, just on their own, as a character that seemed to line up with. If we are assuming what his ultimate intent was, which was, which is what we've been discussing up until now to build to this place with the comet tragic thing. And then it turns and now it's dealing with something real. I don't know if I, I don't know if I saw anyone really pull that off for me. And I'm not sure how willing I am to blame that on the, the writing. Like just an actor is sitting alone in a trailer or they're by the, they're in their home and they're preparing for a role and they really just oh, yeah. have the script I mean- and communication with the director. So I guess ultimately, I, I guess what I'm saying is I don't know if it happened on the set. I don't know if there wasn't, enough communication beforehand but i wasn't quite sure chemistry wise what he was trying to do with everybody including the core three i didn't understand i don't know if i believed their friendship yeah this i mean movie can't work if you there don't were, believe their friendship. there were there were definitely issues with the writing but that wasn't it like it happened elsewhere so you also feel like now do, do you but let me ask you this because Yes, they're all talented actors, but doesn't every talented actor doesn't necessarily going to have chemistry with each other. Do you think no. it was in the casting 
Or do you think that there was an issue with the performing, the acting, or the directing? We're watching all these talented people that we've seen win a bunch of awards not seem to be working well together in scenes. Yeah. And we know how Lebetsky films. That guy likes long takes, so I'm sure they filmed it that way, and we still didn't see that kind of chemistry. With long takes. That's an actor's bread and butter. Yeah. Give me a chance to I, get into it. I feel it. like every, everyone was... It was. It's almost like everyone was given free reign to do their own thing, and everybody <laughs> made a choice that didn't gel with what other people were doing. Yeah, that's where the director, who, by the way, this is also one of those directors that likes to be on set, like literally in the scene. Like if you're in a car, he's under the back seat. You know, he's he's that guy, he's there with them. So you you would have thought he would have felt it out. It's very confusing. Yeah, John David Washington specifically for me was. I really. I think he did. I think John David Washington nailed a similar tone successfully in Black Klansman. That kind of character that is supposed yeah. to be like, I am a little bit of a, a surrogate for a more sincere perspective on this story. And yet we're going to have some fun with the way I go about things. The director is going to have some fun putting me into certain situations that are kind of absurd. And for this one, it almost felt like he was... It almost felt like he was like, I'm not quite sure which way to go, so I'm going to play it natural. Yeah. Which brought Margot Robbie, who was his, you know, clearly they were supposed to be in love, which which kind of affected the way she was playing things. I'm not quite sure if she was enjoying what Christian Christian was doing something crazy. Yeah. And he, David he, was he trying. John David was trying to really ground it, you, and I'm not sure almost, if she understood who yeah. she was supposed to play off. You could always see the thought process. It's like, how do I compliment that? Yeah, yeah, literally, yes, literally. Yeah. Which is, God, God, they're all so talented. I, yeah. I don't want to sound like I'm being like critical of their their talent. Oh. I just saw, I saw the same thing, Dave. I feel like I saw three actors thinking about how to act with each other. That's crazy when you're talking about those three. Yeah. Those three are fantastic yeah. well, actors. And, and well, John David Washington was very clearly trying to be the straight man to Christian Bale's crazy man. But I feel like they could have. I feel like the director could have come in and been like Christian. I think he could be crazier. <laughs> and John David Washington, he's so crazy that you don't have to try so hard to be straight. You can still kind of play off it a little bit. And then Margot Robbie, I couldn't quite, yeah, I couldn't quite figure out because, I mean, she had a lot of like impediments and things to deal with. So I was just to tr keep the triangle together. I'm, she was the manipulator. She was just, there, because the character was all over the place, I, I don't, I actually don't think that was her fault. Mm. I think the other two maybe could have helped her out because she, she had the biggest task, I think, well, out of the three. Also, of the style in which it was written, um, it's like, it was written from their perspective. So anything they didn't see, you weren't shown a lot of the time. Mm. Um, so a lot of the time yeah. they like the characters made weird decisions because we weren't in on what was happening to them yet and stuff like that. Like there were a couple of times where I was like, that's a really weird path for that character to take. But then I realized that something else has happened that we don't know about yet. But yeah, that was, that well, was occasionally. I, that, is, again, that is a really No, no, no. That's, that's a really good point. I just can't, I I don't sit. I don't sit in a theater and think about these things yeah. unless something isn't working. But whether we like it or not, Aristotelian, you know, it comes from yeah. the ages long, long, long ago, and we've we've studied these things from from the beginning of our storytelling to try to understand what is good and what is bad, and how do we create techniques around getting there consistently. And when you're talking about acting and characters, you, you kind of can't help but anyone who's trained in this craft and certainly if you're directing to think about like, what are you doing the entire time? What are we trying to achieve over the arc of this act, this scene, this entire movie? What is your point? The character's point. 
Yeah. And yeah. I couldn't figure it out. I feel like so, so they were, these actors I think defense, they were two arcs. I didn't know what the fuck they were doing. I think there were two arcs and a lot of people didn't know which arc they were on at any one time. That's that's yeah. If it was the friendship thing, I think David took them away from that as a writer, mm. which it, it didn't seem to be the most important part of what they were trying to accomplish as people within this story. Cuz I thought from that opening, that 30-minute expository flashback, I was like all right, this whole thing is going to be about love and friendship. And to be honest, I think it is about that because yeah. of the narration at the end where yes. Christian's like, you don't get to choose your family. And it, you know, there's some touching, there's some good lines in there, some good mm. philosophical, you know, how do you live yeah. a life? You get to choose these things. But because this story ended up dealing with something so significant, like the potential <laughs> yeah. overthrow of the American government, yes, I just that, don't I mean know if the friendship thing had the legs to stand up to our interest as audience members in the intrigue. Like the intrigue alone was like, oh shit, now I'm only concerned about that. I kind of don't care about these friends that anymore. Was, that was the exact thing that I, I'm like, <laughs> fucking hell, they've just landed in the middle of an absolute shitstorm. How are they going to like get out of this? And yeah, I stopped worrying about Amsterdam entirely. Which Amsterdam. Fucking Amsterdam. Which, and you know what? I shouldn't even <laughs> question it, should I, you guys? Because the narration, it was supposed to be about friendship because the narration was yep. very vast and really in your face and your, the, the narration at the end of this movie. And then the last, the fucking, I was wondering, how's he going to end this? And the last close-up images of them saying Amsterdam. And it didn't, I love nothing more than when a good throwback a callback to like in a in a, a a moral or an ethical or a or an emotional center of the film is brought together by the last moment maybe they introduced it much earlier in the film but they say it or show it at the very end and you're like oh my god that's what it was about the whole time they tried to, i think he was trying to do that with like amsterdam like none of this would have happened if we didn't find each other and connect overseas mm. after the war through our trauma yeah. And I just didn't feel anything when they showed those last images. Other no, than it was it was kinda like relief. This is, this, <laughs> it's it's kinda like this is still going. Uh and I'm waiting for Finn to pop up on the screen. It, yeah, um, yeah. Not in a good way. All right, that so that's fine. That's okay. I'll just Jeff, I'll, I'll, do we have a positive film podcast? Do we have a positive film podcast? Yeah, we do. Yeah. Everyone go back. Listen to our earlier episodes. Wait, I, wait, here's something positive. <laughs> Well, for, I, I was going to say the, the, the Maguire guy, that was the whole thing. They did a bad job with that. The guy was just sitting there and he's like, that guy's been coming here every day for a year. You came on the day where we're going to figure out why he's been coming. And it's like, come on, guys, you got to lay that groundwork. But I was going to um, ask you if that pissed you off. <laughs> yeah, that yeah it pissed me. Yeah. I don't know. Right? He's just sitting in the set. Why is he there? Kick him out of your house. <laughs> it doesn't make it. Why is he? He keeps coming. He's giving me money, but he won't tell me who. He's some obviously fetish. fetish Things happened like that in 1930s, Jeff. He Weird was just in his lobby happen, yeah. all day, every day. It was very strange. Anyway, whatever. So had nothing and better they, to do than sit around other people's houses with buckets of money. Again, I, again, I just saw, I just saw Goodfellas when they whack someone at Goodfellas. It always matters. In this movie, they whacked him. And they're like, he knew too much. And I was like, I just need this movie to end. I don't care. Um, no, I didn't for, even realize who that was at first. I'd forgotten <laughs> yeah, about that guy by that point. Um, 
Oh yeah. No, no. Yeah, if yeah. you like, if you like Scooby Doo, you would like this movie because at the very end, Rami Malek just says everything. Yeah. <laughs> he just confessed everything. He just said, "Well, I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for you." And you since I just spoiled it for drugs. myself, I'm going to explain everything. Because again, if this is even close to realism, because it's supposedly based on a true story, which, by the way. It is based on a true story, and not a single person was prosecuted for this coup d'etat attempt. That's that true. Definitely, they they that actually con- Congress admitted that it was conceived that this plot was conceived for a coup d'etat in 1933 to overthrow Franklin Delano, Del, Delano Roosevelt and replace him with a general uh, who is a fascist and had ties to Germany. And they said yes, that did happen, and they didn't prosecute a single person who d- was a part of it. And here's this person who just confesses to it publicly. Yeah, it's <laughs> and, like and they, this movie. they, they get they in there that? and they, they I, I don't know why they did. They it. all earn you know a million dollars in the congressional hearing, and then they're like, "Yeah, you nearly got us. You nearly got us. Yeah, you bastard. Off you go." He should have honestly. He should have just yeah. winked and walked away or something. And he should have done a Chinatown ending. He's like, you... "Look, it's Amsterdam," and gotten out of there. But instead, yeah. he was like, "Yes, because this is what happens." He might as well just look to the camera and said. This, the director does not like Donald Trump. Like, they, like they might as well have just done that because it, it made no sense. This ending. Anyway, um, I thought. Yeah. Oh wait, I was supposed to be saying something positive. Oh yeah, the positive. If you like Scooby Doo, you would have liked that. Yeah, is there anything enough. else that? <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, you guys. When I was watching this, because he's never worked with Chivo before, I'm I'm pretty positive. I'm pretty um, sure they're never gonna work together again. <laughs> there's a couple other cinematographers that he's worked with, and I I respect all of them a lot. Um, God, I wish I could think of their names right now. I've listened to so many podcasts with, with, uh, each of them. Um, David O. Russell loves a moving camera. So I wasn't like shocked that he, you know, wanted to work with somebody like Chiva, but I'm not gonna lie when I was, when it got to the end and it finally, and I saw that Emmanuel Levetsky had been a part of this. I don't know why I was just, I was just kind of surprised. Something about it, something about it. There was a mixed bag of, uh, shot styles. In there, and I mean, I mean, I know that's the norm, but like some of the stuff with like running with the camera chasing someone when it's like the only fucking shot in the film where you do that, that was weird to me. Yeah, yeah, I'm not even, I'm not even sure where I was going with that, but it did feel a little. I will, I did notice uh, a when little I got, disjointed. Yes, it did uh, aesthetically, even which is uh, look, I know. Should we be giving everybody a little bit of a break who's making their first film pandemic or post-pandemic? Like everybody's kind of getting into the swing of working with these these new rules. There, everybody's, you know, these there are a lot of rules that are in place. A third of your budget is going they, towards testing nowadays. It's it's cut into so many aspects of filmmaking. It's are they, a huge I, thing. I was gonna say, are they still doing that? I haven't been on set in a while. They are still doing that. Okay. Um, so you know that is still happening. I'm not trying to make excuses for people, but Jeff, he said it. He's I think he made Joy in 2015 or released Joy in 2015. It's been a long, you know, it's been quite a while, and everybody, I think, to their detriment a little bit, has been so. Let me. What's the best way to say this? During the pandemic, every single human being I knew who wasn't in my filmmaking community got in touch with me and said, "John, you should totally write something about this." And I was like, "No." yeah like every every everybody's gonna be trying to like talk about this and it's gonna feel like angry and weird and forced and there's no like there's no like smooth way to discuss these things now they are and they already made those films like 10 years ago so well we have so many analogies to these things but i guess that's what i was saying at the beginning that i think this is a 
I think what disappointed me most was that I thought this was a very clever way to get around his own reservations politically, to use something that really happened as as allegory. And I feel like he ended up also kind of what if, fumbling what is, the ball a little yeah, bit. With, what is with the his, deal with this shit going on like every 30 years or something? Like I call fucking Pennywise the clown interfering. That was great. I will say like, I did it, and this was written in the script. I like that Robert De Niro said, I delayed you at least 10, maybe 20 or 30 years. Yeah. But I did like that he was, that they literally were trying to be smart about like, yeah. this does seem to happen once a generation. Yeah. People are going to try to do something, something fucking nuts, you know? So I did appreciate that. Uh, Dave, you're right, dude. It's the Uh, same fucking playbook every time. It's because we're, we're not a fucking educated society and people don't know this shit happened. Does anybody else, not to go all (laughs) political here, but does anybody else remember 2016? Jeff, I know I had this conversation with you very consciously. I was nervous as fuck because I felt like I was watching two populist movements, movements run against themselves. And all my fucking liberal friends that were going hardcore Bernie, I remember going to see him and just thinking like, uh-oh, this is an entire generation of people who don't know political history and they think they were part of something good. That scared me just as much as the populist movie on the, on the other side. Yeah, you had like, the drain you had the drain the swamp and the, before. the drain the swamp crowd and the burn it all down crowd. And look what fucking happened. Yeah. Like, so this this whole we're in such an interesting place artistically, and I don't want to sound like I'm. I want people like David O. Russell to try to talk about how they're feeling, because this is a rough and weird time. But if I'm being totally honest, it's kind of like uh, the five the directors who got sent overseas in World War II, uh, William Wyler, um, John Huston, Frank Capra. Uh, I'm forgetting a few others. The guy who made. Damn, what's his name? Who made Shane and A Place in the Sun and um, Giant. God, tell me how you guys. I got nothing. What is his name? Anyway, uh, those guys came back and they eventually ended up making in the about the decade. George George Stevens. George George Stevens. Stevens. One of my favorite directors, George Stevens. Within the decade after the events, when they returned, they ended up making some of their best work. So I am anticipating a lot of this generation, the people who were like in the prime of their life and they got to sit through this bullshit and, you know, the pandemic was tough, but also the crazy shit that we've been seeing politically. I think their next two or three movies are going to be incredible. Mm, Everybody will have a time to kind of simmer and get a little perspective. We're going to see Paul. We're going to see all these dudes and women from the 90s start to say, like, now I know how I actually feel about it. I'm not just angry. I'm not just scared or confused. I actually have some perspective. We all do. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I don't. I won't. So ultimately, I'm glad so he made this movie. Basic, basically, to, to be a good director, you need a little bit of darkness in your life, is what you're saying. <laughs> I think you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, what does a Sally Bowles say, Jeff? Yeah. And right. Uh, cabaret. You can't be a, every good actor. You can't be a great actor. You can't be a great actor until you've had your heart broken. I think every human yeah, yeah. that's an artist has to kind of experience some kind of trauma and yeah. get past it to really realize like what actually matters also plays i mean i know we're not a play podcast but after world war ii and everything settled that's when you get all of the arthur miller plays you get death of a salesman you get the crucible <laughs> all, all the you get hits, yeah. you get streetcar named desire and in the tennessee williams you get picnic you get cat on a hudson roof you get diary of m frank you get all of that great theater south pacific all yeah. the musicals of i mean that, it all happens after, so it just it takes a minute for it to come that, back that 20 years after, was, after a major disastrous event is like a re- renaissance and 
Well, yeah, comedy is supposed yeah. to come just, around, but yeah. Just to be specific, just to be specific, because I'm just running through the the Rolodex in my head. I I feel comfortable saying a great majority of my favorite film directors' work and those playwrights you just mentioned do not end up speaking literally about the yeah. war. Well, The Crucible, it's the yeah. best because it's about McCarthyism, but he was like, I'm not just going to say McCarthyism. I'm going to yeah. tell this great witch hunt story. I'm just going to literally yeah. tell the witch hunt story and all I'm not going to wink to the aside, camera while I do it. Yeah. And even All well, My Sons yeah. isn't really about all my is, the war. Is it's about how people feel about what happened to them. So like, yeah, I just, I do feel like we're, we're looking at a really exciting time. So I guess I'm, do you guys kind of feel the same way? Like I felt this way very consciously last year. I'm still feeling this way a little bit now. I feel like we're going to need a few more years before our, our really incredible genius people who we usually look to for great things. I think they need to get over their trauma a little bit like we all yeah. do before they can kind of get some perspective with and get one, back to their good with work. With one exception, horror directors, they are having a fucking great year. They're having fun. Horror directors have just like, fuck Pearl it, yet. let's cut loose. Like, yeah. Have you seen X? Because I haven't seen X either. I don't need to. I haven't. Watch that. And everybody told me you can. Everybody said you can watch Pearl. You don't need to see X yeah. first. But you're probably going to want to watch X. I feel like I want to do. I feel like I want to do them in like creation order though. So I want to. I want to do X and then go to Pearl. That's why I haven't seen it yet. But yeah. Guys, horror, we're horror directors have a great let's, now, yeah, let's wind <laughs> yeah. it down all right well that is our discussion on amsterdam please tell us what you think like subscribe hit that link tree up that dave set up for us but now it is officially time for us to head into our final segment of the episode what you've been watching people we're going to tell you what we've been watching and whether or not we recommend those things we always like to start with our good friend dave here from australia dave what have you been watching uh, I've been watching The Usual Suspects. Uh, I'm one episode behind in Andor. I'm, I think I'm one episode behind in Game of Thrones. And I think I'm one episode behind in Lord Game of the of Rings. Trust. So I've been watching nothing. Uh, How's it no, no. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, back in the theater. Um, but I did watch, because uh, it dropped uh, this week, I think on Netflix, Elysium, the Matt Damon film. Oh, yeah. John uh, watched Neil, that in our apartment once. Yeah, I Neil, think I Neil Blomkamp. Um, yeah, it is... A cautionary tale that no one's fucking listening to, in my opinion. Like I enjoyed, li- I enjoyed, the, I enjoyed the rewatch now, way more than I yeah. did watching the the film originally. I felt the same way about that. I know what you're talking about with the rewatch. I felt the same yeah. way about that one that I did about District Nine. It's like yeah. they're really specific sci-fi movies that didn't really blow you away with the usual sci-fi tropes when you when they came out, but they're they're incredibly. Oh, District, District Nine blew me away. I mean, that that was straight up a message about apartheid. Like that was, but yeah. did, like Elysium is the shit we're going through now with like the massive divide between the rich and the poor and them living yeah. in each like group living in their own separate bubbles and stuff like that. And how no, we'll be yeah. there in, like, once six again. Years. Matt Damon got left behind. <laughs> every yeah, every what an expensive movie. Movie. He didn't need to get <laughs> rescued this time at least. So you know, every uh, character he is played. John, what have you been watching? I the only thing I watched was um, actually that's a lie. I just watched a fun, fun. Wow, I shouldn't have said that word. <laughs> there is a mini series on Hulu called The Looming Tower about the lead up to nine eleven, and it is not um, fun. But if you care about the history of no comedy in that, the later <laughs> come on, yeah, <laughs> the late nineties, the late nineties Clinton administration. And our geopolitical ties, mostly from the perspectives of National Security Advisor, CIA Advisor, FBI, and a few specific uh, CIA and FBI perspectives from individual anti-terrorists. Like, 
it's it's very specific and it's based on a book, but uh, it builds to the event, and I really enjoyed it. And I don't know how it slipped under my radar. I think it came out in like 2016 or 17. Jeff Daniels, um, oh, Michael so Stuhl, hmm. uh, Alec Baldwin plays Michael Stuhlberg. Michael Stuhlberg. Michael Stuhlberg. Yeah, God, I love him okay. so much, dude. Um, anyway, that was really great, and I I'm caught up on uh, Rings of Power, and Again, just like last week, I, I kind of am living in this place with this show where it's it's never going to be Lord of the Rings in Tolkien uh, purely, even though it is very much based on some tales from the Cimmerillion and stuff, just because it's not Peter Jackson. Like, it's not coming through one human being. But I am, at the same time, there are a lot of moments where I'm like, oh, I'm feeling that feeling I get when I watch Lord of the Rings. Hmm. Um, so I still am enjoying the show enough to keep going with it. I'm not was, being like I'm not cynical with my arms one shot I'm enjoying in, it. It's one shot in the first episode that got me where they like panned low over the grass and just drifted over mm-hmm. the grass and everything. And I was like, that is all, all the throwback I need to the style of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I'm in. And yeah. And to be honest, I haven't had a problem those ever since. Kinds of, those kinds of moments are working the best for me versus this giant story moment isn't that cool. Yeah, you're. Don't worry, we got there. We're gonna give you what you want because we're building up to Lord of the Rings. Like, the, the, whatever I mean, it does things like up, that. They've, they've got about a thousand to, years, but yeah, they do. But like, <laughs> yeah. all this shit is referenced loosely. Yes. If you're, you know, if you if you love Lord of the yeah. Rings, like these things are talked about historically in Lord of the Rings. So, like, my best example of that is, I thought it was really cool how they eventually. Jay, I know you haven't watched it, but revealed what they revealed at the end of episode five. You're only so what happens at the I, end of the I, episode you've seen no, with Dave's the giant explosion. No, the most recent yeah, I'm up seven. to the explosion. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So when they basically show like how that whole part of Middle Earth gets formed, like, look, that was pretty cool. Like, I don't mind some of the plot moments, um, but ultimately, I'm. I guess, I guess, I guess, I'm still enjoying like when they get really close with the telling. Which is very Tolkien-y here, but that Peter Jackson took that from Tolkien. It's the telling, it's not the tale. It's the it's gonna be this style. It's gonna be like these these characters and what they're having to do to go through it. There is a moment, Dave, that you're gonna like when the small folk, I can't remember what they're they're not called hobbits in this, where they have to make a decision to try Our to fights. go do something risky. And like it made me feel like, ah, oh, we're finally tapping into like the essence of Lord of the Rings. When people take on very intense tasks. Who shouldn't mm. be taking them on? Like that, it started to get into that yeah. flavor. So there's only two episodes left, I think, right? One I don't know. I, I know I they. I know they have started production on the second season already. Yeah. So, so I think they're um, about to. I think they're about to wrap it up. And I'm, I mean, I'm to be honest, be in, yeah, in, I suppose it might be. Seven. I know Jeff Bezos famously said his son, uh, when he found out he was doing it, the piece of advice he gave him was, "Dad, don't fuck up Lord of the Rings." And in my opinion, yeah. he hasn't. Don't fuck this shit up. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think. Uh, yeah, I, I am enjoying it. I think everybody should should give it a chance. I'm fucking all in. I think the watch more that. pressure the more we watch, watch and the more pressure we yeah. put on them, the better they're going to make it. Don't watch it. At if your we learn anything from Game of Thrones, no, fuck you. If we learn anything from Game of Thrones, that show got better and better until they had that shitty deal at the end, right? With they're having to yeah. wrap up the last season and basically- That's their part. choice. But That's the, what they said. The bread and butter, but the bread and butter in the middle of it, that was the best the series ever got. 
Well, like that's... we were putting tons of pressure on them with like, you better be fucking good because everybody's watching. And they were, mm. God, they were every. Well, I think every I think we talked about what happened with Game of Thrones, TV. like when they ran out of material and they were just told how it ended, and it suddenly became plot based instead of character based, and that like they changed the style of the show for the last like three seasons. Yeah. How great. No, I, I'm a, I'm a season six Dan for game of Thrones. I do really like it a lot, but season three really is one of the best television of all time. And obviously that red wedding comes later, but just, so you have, you have Arya and Tywin in season two, which is just brilliant. That wasn't in the books. And they did a great job where they're basically like, well, what are we going to do with these two characters? Let's do this. And we'll just reveal things, each character, as opposed to like, have to get somewhere, have to have a plot, yeah. as you're saying, Dave. But with the Hound, when she goes to the Brotherhood and then the Hound kidnaps her and takes her, and they're just, I mean, whole, just talking, 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 and then one little bit of action. And then it gets the Hound to be like, uh, I just know the way things are. How many Starks do they have to behead for you to figure it out? And like that one line just justifies yeah. like this huge arc. And I don't feel, I don't feel like any of these shows has to have these anymore. And I'm all about Andor. I'm all about Cassie and Andor as like the, the, I still think it's the front runner right now out of the three shows, even though it doesn't have the budget and it's like too patient and, and they're making like, wh- why are they out in the open doing this? Like these TIE fighters can see them. So they're clearly doing some things that are like, okay, well they're, they're the TIE fighter just, they're just Dude, like cover the you, guns. And I was like, I think it? they would notice the people just chilling have right you, near the camp, seen like just hiding fighter? in the trees. There's only windows at the front. You can't see down. Anyway, you're right. You're right. You're right. I know. It's just, you have it's a very limited yeah, field of view, before- just like the empire. I still think Andor is the best out of all. You're right. Jeff, before you before you take it over, I do want to just I can't stop thinking about the first comment you made with the first with the pilot of Rings of Power because I totally agree with you and I still don't think they have found their footing perfectly. I think they're crunching a little more than they need to with Rings of Power. They can I want to feel yeah. like I am getting more and everything, more these characters. Everything that has been a little spoken faster of. than I think they yeah. need to. You can make everything each that has been three spoken hours, of. Go for it. We have a thousand years before we're caught up and everything they've spoken of happened within three days. The Mithril, the, the, how Mordor got formed and who is Sauron and who are the people with Sauron and is that Gandalf and how did the wizards get here and, and Gladriel, she was a fighter in the war and everything. They're, they're, they're throwing it all into this one. And then, um, Isildur on top of that, Isildur should just have his own show. They should have done the Star Wars thing and be like, don't talk about Isildur. He'll get his own show. Why do they throw him into this? To get really nerdy, uh, Come at me on the socials, but I think I've done the math before, and I think Lord of the Rings takes 13 months. I think the journey as a whole, from when he leaves the Shire to when they return, is 13 months. I think it's a little over a year or a little under a year. Regardless, it's months, right? Yeah. It's not years, but it is It is about a year where yeah. they're going to take, like, they're really going to take their time. I wouldn't mind if Rings of Power trusted us and trusted themselves a little bit more that you can do, you can let us just live a little bit with these people. Wish, That's why we're watching the show. I wish they didn't talk about Isildur because Viggo Mortensen being Isildur's heir, I think is so cool. And now I'm just sitting there and be like that fucking guy, like he should have gotten his own show. He wasn't even, I don't even think he was, if he was in this episode, he just like was a stool. Like, come on, this is, <laughs> come on. It, it has, I don't know. It's just too bad. They tried to cram too much. Okay, Jeff, I watched Goodfellas. What'd you watch? So I watched those other things. Goodfellas, people. I watched Goodfellas. It was so good. I, some, one of you, I guess John, had watched like, because at the beginning of it on HBO Max, it's Scorsese talking about some of the famous scenes. And I just, I, I kept going. Also, this person that I did a show with recently, we did shows in Iowa and she has kids. So she, I, I got there really late because of delays. And so I didn't see her until the next day. And she said, last night was the best night of my life. 
And I was like, the night we got here to Iowa? Why? What do you mean? We were in a hotel in Cedar Rapids. This doesn't make any sense. And she was like, I got takeout at 5 p.m., a bottle of wine. I took a bath and I watched Goodfellas. And it was the best night of my life. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is what parenting is like. You get a week <laughs> off from your kids. Taking a bath with wine is the best night of your life. And she was like, and Goodfellas is awesome. And I was like, okay. So I saw Goodfellas up and I just fucking pushed play. And my God, it's so goddamn good, it's man. It's so, so good. good. It's so good. It's so it good. is so yeah. good. Ever since I can remember, always wanted to. Be always a wanted gangster. to be a gangster. I forgot that that comes yeah, after a little mini montage. I thought that was the first thing. I forgot there's like some killing and then the freeze frame. How did I get here, Dave? How did I get? Here? Anyway, okay, fucking good fellas, guys. It's so goddamn good. De Niro. All right. Oh, the music! Oh my God, the music! All right, people, thank you so much for listening to our Amsterdam episode. Find us on the socials. We're going to watch a good movie next week and talk about it, I hope. All right. Mm. Until next. <laughs> See you. Get the fuck out of here.